Hello and welcome to Players Anatomy. I am your host, Charlie DeClean. I am a physical therapist at Bell & Health Titletown Sports Medicine Orthopedics in Green Bay, Wisconsin, right in the shadows of Lambeau Field. On today's episode, we will cover some news and notes from around the leagues, and we will also welcome back Dr. Bob Anderson and have a conversation about Jones Fracture. So stretch out, warm up, and get ready. This is Players Anatomy. News and notes from around the league. This weekend was wildcard weekend for the NFL, and I know a lot of the professional sports are, are kicking off here. The major injury that hit the sports world was the Rams quarterback, John Wolford, with a neck injury. And it was very clear uh, watching the medical team do their evaluation of how serious they felt the injury could have been. For those of that saw it real time, it was more of a compression type injury that he had when he got hit. Um, and the medical staff was going through their examination one of the tests that they uh, performed was a sharp purser test. We'll talk about this at the a little bit at the end of the episode as well. But um, when you look at the anatomy of the your neck, which is referred to as your cervical spine, your first vertebrae that your head rests on top of is called your atlas, and your second is your axis. And your axis has a bony projection up called your dens. Uh, your atlas more or less sits like a ring right on that dens, and that sharp purser test is really a test to see if you pop possibly fractured that dens bony uh, protrusion. Um, That is not to be taken lightly. There's obviously... Nothing good comes from fracturing that and the risk then of your spinal cord as well. So um, they will always take those injuries very, very seriously. And, and really, this injury was just a reminder of of how violent uh, sports can truly be. Uh, the most recent news that came out is that he was discharged from the hospital and is back with his team. So obviously not out of the woods yet, but definitely a positive sign. Our guest today for today's interview, we will welcome back Dr. Bob Anderson. Uh, Bob is a nationally renowned foot and ankle specialist right here at Bell and Health Titletown. Bob was an assistant team physician with the Carolina Panthers until 2017 and is now a team physician for the Green Bay Packers. Bob is also a co-chair of the NFL's musculoskeletal committee and uh, oversees injuries and research for the league. Since joining the team here at Bellin, he has treated more than 300 VIPs. He's performed upwards of 150 surgeries on pro athletes uh, from across the NFL, NHL, MLB, NBA, and more. Our discussion today was about Jones Fracture. Um, When we designed this podcast, Jones Fracture was definitely one of the interviews I wanted to do with Bob. Just from the standpoint, it is so commonly misunderstood because of its name. Uh, Jones Fracture is not named after the bone that is fractured or or stress fractured. It is just named after um, more of a person. And Bob goes into it in the interview of, of how it got its name. So I hope you enjoy our interview, and after the interview, we'll we'll tie up some loose ends, uh, some common questions. We also, again, um, in the description of today's podcast is a link if you're looking for more information about Jones Fraction or, or if you're having a hard time visualizing it, hopefully that link will help you. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy the interview, and here is Bob Anderson. Bob, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Charlie. Today's podcast is about Jones fracture injuries. Some household names that have had to deal with Jones fractures include Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons in the NBA, Greg Olson, a tight end in the NFL, just to name a few. So, Bob, can you start by, first of all, what is a Jones fracture? So, Jones fracture is a fracture that occurs in the fifth metatarsal bone, which is a bone on the outside of your foot. 
It's in the midfoot location, and the fracture typically occurs towards what we call the proximal end of the fifth metatarsal, closer to the heel area. And it typically occurs in an area that undergoes high stress as we're running, pushing off, but also in an area of the bone we know that has poor circulation. It's just not the strongest of bones. So it's sort of the, you know, the, the perfect combination of having a bone that gets a lot of stress on it, but also a bone that's weak in a specific location that can develop stress reactions quite easily and then eventually fractures. So that is the Jones fracture, a fracture that occurs in a certain location in that fifth metatarsal bone. So for those of you that are having a hard time visualizing this, if you want to think of it in your hand, it's pretty much the pinky portion of your palm of your hand, right? The outside kind of not the pinky itself, not the finger, but the long bone in the hand that leads up to it. So how do you determine surgery versus not surgery with something like this? Well, I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. So some people who get Jones fractures actually have very high arch feet. So those high arch feet place a lot of pressure on the outside of the foot. And in that situation, a person's going to have a hard time not only healing that fracture because of the ongoing stress, but keeping it healed. So we find that Jones fractures can be treated without surgery. And they may take four months to heal, you know, 60, 70% of the time. But the biggest concern we have with Jones fractures is if you treat them non-optically, not only do they take a long time to heal, but 33% of them can re-break. So now you got a situation of a Jones fracture, you put all this time and effort into getting it to heal with cast and boots and a period of being off your foot, but then if it re-breaks, now you've just lost all that time again. So that's why we are have a very low threshold to consider surgery in the, uh, in the athlete. And I, I say athlete as a very broad um, a term because an athlete is a very personal definition. You know, who is an athlete? You can have a weekend warrior. You can have somebody who's just living alone and wants to be up on their foot very quickly. You can have the elite athlete where it's a business decision. Um, you know, people we consider for surgical intervention are not only those with a high arch feet, but those who have to get back into their sport very quickly and don't want that risk of refracture. It may be a high school kid trying to get a college scholarship. It may be a college kid trying to get on into a professional level of sports, or it may be a professional athlete trying to get into his free agent year. So there's all sorts of decision-making that goes into whether you try to treat it surgically or non-surgically. And that kind of leads me to my next question here of, it, it being here with you over the last couple of years, it is amazing how many people I've seen come into these doors, high-level college kids, professional athletes, because they want you to treat their Jones fracture. I know this is one of the things that have kind of helped you become, have your your national recognition. What is it that you're doing differently, do you feel, that you've had greater success of why so many people want to come see you for this? I'm not sure that it's anything you know, technologically advanced. I think it's knowing how to place the screw through a number of experiences over the years, knowing who gets what kind of fixation, the recovery process, uh, some of the nuances that go into the surgery, how to get a straight screw into a curved bone, so to say. So there's a lot of things we've learned over the years just by pure volume and, and experiences uh, ago. But really, it's not so much the surgery. Again, as you mentioned, it's who needs surgery, who doesn't, and how quickly can you progress them after surgery. In addition, there's other things we're adding to these fracture fixation procedures now, trying to get them to heal better and uh, and more reliably, and that's the use of so-called stem cells and some of the biologics we now have available to us uh, that we've uh, had um, good uh, success with. So again, there, there's so many little features in taking care of the Jones fracture that have to be considered, and it really becomes almost an individual management, one person versus another, what their anatomy is and, and what the best uh, screw 
selection is for them. So you kind of touched on the care for non-surgery of more immobilizing a boot and or and or cast, but what are you actually doing in surgery for a Jones fracture? Well, I'll back up one second and say that for most people, there's no urgency in fixing them. Again, let's take out the elite athlete. Let's take out the, the kid who's trying to get uh, a college scholarship, who wants to get into his high school football season. Uh, for the general population, you know, just even for myself, I might consider utilizing a boot for a few weeks and see what happens. I'm not in a timeline, so you can go ahead and put me in a boot, see if the fracture heals. If it doesn't heal, there's no reason you can't come back and, and, and do some kind of surgical procedure. So I just wanted to mention that, that uh, for the general population, you might elect to try to treat it without surgery and see what happens. If it doesn't work, you always have surgery as an option for you. Now, let's take this then into the person who has to get back to their athletic participation more rapidly. That's where surgery comes into play. Because then what we do is we say, okay, you've got this broken bone. We need to stabilize it internally, um, knowing that this bone takes a long time to heal. But now we've got so-called almost like an internal splint, internal brace in the form of a screw. So for the most part of the last 20 to 30 years, the gold standard for managing the Jones fracture has been to place a screw inside the canal of that bone. So we enter through a small little incision at the very proximal end towards the heel, very proximal end of the bone, and we under fluoroscopic imaging control, we actually can guide the screw into the bone and stabilize the fracture and allow it to then heal. It allows us to get the guys moving very quickly. It allows us to get them walking in a boot within the first week or two. And then the average return to sport time is about six to eight weeks. However, we've had guys back playing even in the Super Bowl within two weeks after putting a screw in. So the thought is that the screw is giving the stability that the bone can't just keeps failing to give. Yes, and to go one step further, we've actually helped to design and develop screws specifically for the Jones fracture. So the screws we now have available for management of the Jones fracture actually are very, very strong, solid screws. Um, they don't have a canal in them, They're, which makes them more rigid, more stiff, which means that we can go and we can push the recovery very quickly knowing that screw's not gonna bend or break. So you, you mentioned it a little bit, average, average uh, return somewhere six to eight weeks. What are, what are you normally seeing of when people seem to really feel like, okay, I'm back? How long of a recovery total where you feel like they look like they did previous to the injury? Usually it's a three-month recovery process. For most of the athletes, they feel you know a little sore, a little achy, even if they're back uh, for those first you know, six weeks. So it takes about three months to get over it. Uh, we do recommend, at least for the athlete, uh, having them in an orthotic device uh, post-operatively. So what we'll do is we'll get them back to running as soon as they're comfortable. They might be working out of the pool, uh, trying to get their strength back. Then eventually have them go back to their field or court activity with an, uh, a, sh- a properly fitted shoe um, and then an orthotic in there that helps to take some of the stress off the outside of a foot. Uh, I do want to reemphasize properly fitted shoe. We're finding that there has been a tremendous increase in the incidence of Jones fracture over the last several years. Not just for NFL or NBA players, we're seeing it across all age groups. And maybe it's overuse, over-participation, but we also have uh, seen a lot of athletes go into more narrow-fitted shoes. So if you think about it, if you're wearing too narrow of a shoe, the side of your foot may be hanging off the shank or the, the plate of the shoe, so to say, and even get more stress placed on it. So we're encouraging people to not only go into wider shoes once a Jones fracture has occurred, but also an orthotic device to decrease the stress on that area. Yeah, I know that you were actually part of uh, developing a, a device called a fit station that 
from what I understand, I know all NFL teams have it. It's not in all clinics everywhere yet, and I know their database has to grow, but that's the whole point of that, correct, is just making sure people are getting in a proper-sized shoe. Exactly. This was a big initiative of the NFL uh, was to try to make sure we had guys into properly fitted shoes. Again, shoes are not apparel, they're protective equipment. And to protect the foot and ankle from injury, they have to be properly fitted, number one. And we found there was a huge discrepancy among shoe lines, even within a, a single shoe company, as far as what is a size 12? What does that mean? And, uh, and what we found is that you really have to measure the foot, not only the length and width, but the overall circumference of the foot to get them into the, um, the right type of shoe. And then not only that, we're not only trying to make sure they're in the right width shoe to decrease Jones fractures, we're trying to make sure the shoe doesn't have excessive bend that may lead to other ligament injuries like turf toes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as far as uh, other thing, anything else you see that's kind of changed? I know you said there was the increased incidence and with the, the shoe, that's obviously a big piece of it. Anything else that you think has really brought on this otherwise increased incidence? Well, I think we've realized that the Jones fracture is multifactorial. It may have a biomechanical relation to it, meaning it may occur more in people with a higher foot. Uh, it may have something to do with overuse, with poor shoe selection. Uh, but also, there's certainly some biologic issue going on with these Jones fractures. Uh, what we're finding is that there is a vitamin D deficiency among a lot of our athletes, as well as the general population. Uh, perhaps the lack of vitamin D and calcium in our bodies leads to the potential for more of these stress reactions, stress fractures. So as we've improved our surgical techniques and making these screws specific for Jones fractures, uh, we've also improved our orthotic management, our shoe lines, but also our ability to recommend to an athlete the use of calcium and vitamin D supplementation after the surgery occurs. We want to take that one step further. We also utilize bone stimulation on a lot of these athletes with Jones fractures, trying to stimulate the bone to heal better uh, over a shorter period of time. Yeah, and do you, do you find anything with certain sports that, whether it be not only is there an in, increase increase uh, incidents in certain sports, but that certain athletes going back to their sports struggle. So for example, I know we had talked with Achilles that at times basketball being more vertical of a sport versus football being horizontal, that being an issue recovering from an Achilles. Do you see anything really with that with the Jones fracture? Uh, not as much. I think once we have that fracture stabilized with a good screw, we're pretty much restoring the anatomy as it was meant to be. Um, and so we don't see a lot of additional stress fractures occurring. We don't see a lot of ankle injuries occurring. As long as that that patient player, so to say, comes back when they're pain-free and with proper shoe wear protection. And then I know, I know we've tried to touch on this and other things as well of not only the, okay, I had this injury, but for people looking at this ahead of time and trying to think of, again, the hot button topic of prevention, is there really anything that can, that can prevent a Jones fracture ahead of time versus let's say we have, obviously we could have a whole team come in and, and use a, a new device like a fit station and get them all properly fitted. But is there maybe warning signs that things uh, that could be caught earlier that people should be aware of? Certainly, if you are developing soreness on the outside of your foot, you should be evaluated for an impending stress fracture. So these fractures oftentimes start out as stress reactions. Um, you just feel like an achiness on the side of your foot. And if you continue to participate in your athletic activity, 
longevity um, and you're not wearing proper shoes as far as the width or proper protection inside the shoe with an orthotic type device, you could run the risk of that stress reaction becoming a true stress fracture and then having to deal with the healing process or even surgical intervention. So again, we highly recommend that if you have some achiness occurring inside your foot, go get it checked out. Make sure you don't have an impending Jones fracture. And then once you do have a Jones fracture on one side, you have to make certain that you do adjust your shoes and have proper inserts for the other side. That makes sense. And one thing you mentioned, I just wanted to touch on again. One of the things we're hearing more and more of in my world is the idea of stress reaction versus stress fracture. Can you kind of just talk about what is the difference? Well, stress reaction basically is where we have somebody that has symptoms. They have discomfort. They have maybe some swelling, some achiness, uh, particularly when they run. They might not have any discomfort while they're walking around or at nighttime, but then when they go engage in a running activity, impact loading activity, they start to develop discomfort at a specific and reproducible site. And if you were to examine them, you might not see anything you know, as far as just to the naked eye. So you might look at the foot, ankle, it might look normal. You take an x-ray, it might look completely normal. There's no fracture evident. It's not until you do an MRI or in the old days, a bone scan that would alert you to the fact that there's something going on in the bone. So a stress reaction is where the bone is undergoing changes. It's undergoing like an internal healing process because of increased stress placed on it, which creates inflammation, but it doesn't have an obvious fracture as of yet. So um, it's concerning when we have somebody come in, like I always say, the running athlete who feels like he's got ankle pain, but doesn't have ankle pain, it may be a stress reaction. And even if the x-ray is normal, you're almost required to go on and get an MRI to see if that's indeed the case. Because again, if you let a person run through or participate through a stress reaction, it may become a catastrophic stress fracture uh, thereafter. And you think a part of it is, because I honestly, I feel like when I first started practicing about 15, 16 years ago, I, I never really heard the term stress reaction. Is part of it because the imaging has gotten better that we're catching it in the reaction stage before it becomes a full fledged fracture? Yeah, absolutely. The only way you can really diagnose a stress reaction is off of a uh, MRI or a bone scan. Those are the only ways. And, and again, we didn't have you know, as many MRI opportunities um, years ago as we do now. Um, and so, again, I just think that all of us, not only physicians, but Charlie, I think that uh, in your profession and our trainers now are much more in tune to working up the athlete that has this vague foot or ankle pain despite normal x-rays. And so we're more aggressive in getting our MRIs so we can make the diagnosis earlier than treat them properly, not let this progress to a fracture. Yeah, and you and I were talking about this a little bit. You know, I, I'm, I get so frustrated watching television. I hear, you know, somebody gets injured and they go in and they, it turns out they tell us, well, the x-ray was negative, so that's great news. And it's like, well, that is only like an eighth of the story here. So there's there's so much more that needs to be done to work these people up. No, absolutely, because as I'm sure as the listeners know, that x-rays don't tell you anything about the ligaments, about the tendons, about the joint surface, or what may be going on inside of a bone. It only tells you whether or not there's a fracture or dislocation. Correct. So, and we probably should have started this. The number one question I'll get from my friends when I hear somebody has Jones fracture is, where did the name come from? So Jones, the Jones fracture was actually, it's a its a term that's been out for a hundred years and it was actually described by Sir Robert Jones who per the literature sustained this fracture himself while dancing. So he made his own diagnosis based on pain on the lateral side of the foot that occurred after dancing. And it occurred in that specific area of the fifth metatarsal bone that he termed a Jones fracture. So 
know, it's been a term been a term that's around for a long time, but we give tribute and honor to Sir Robert Jones for that. And him being active. At least he was out dancing, right? Yes. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Bob. This was fantastic. I know this is a, a topic that when it gets brought up, because of, for one, it's not a normal name of it, but also people have a hard time of understanding why is it such a big deal? Why do they require so, surgery so fast? Thank you so much for taking the time to explain it to us today. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Bob Anderson. Bob has truly revolutionized the treatment and surgical intervention for Jones Fracture. Uh, due to its name, Jones Fracture truly is very commonly misunderstood, and I thought Bob did a great job of explaining it. Uh, again, I mentioned this in the introduction, but I included a link in the description of today's episode that will take you to a picture and some more written information about Jones Fracture if you are still having a hard time understanding it. Well, we're nearing the end of this episode of Players Anatomy. I want to thank you again for listening. Uh, if you'd like, uh, please hit subscribe, tell a friend. Uh, we have a lot of great interviews coming. Our next interview will be again with Dr. Bob Anderson talking about the global instability of the ankle, which is another uh, treatment realm that he has truly revolutionized over the last five to 10 years. Also, to keep up with everything that's happening here at Bellin Health Titletown, please check out our website at bellin.org slash Titletown or search for us on any of social media handles uh, at Bellin Health Titletown. What we have been ending every episode with so far is really my cut, or they call Charlie's cut, uh, really a chance for us to look at anything that's going on, tidbits, facts, anything going on in the world of sports. And really the piece I want to touch on is what I said in the intro regarding uh, John Holford's injury, is just be careful again how you interpret from the people reporting these injuries. So one of the most common things we'll hear reported is, well, x-rays were negative, so that's, that's fantastic. And while yes, that is good news, that really x-ray just rules in or out quite frankly any crazy bone deformities um x-rays aren't perfect and x-rays really only for bone you need mri or ct that's really going to show more of your soft tissues which is everything else so for example with somebody with a foot injury a major major uh, ankle sprain when they say x-rays are negative all that means is they didn't break their ankle that doesn't mean that they don't have a tear in a ligament in that ankle, which has the x-ray is just not going to be able to show. So what I want you to understand is if you've never personally had to go through anything like this before, a medical workup for an injury is quite frankly very profound. Not only do you have films like x-ray, MRI, and CT, but also just the hands-on examination from a physician or healthcare provider that really quite frankly helps get you the whole picture because you cannot make a decision on just a hands-on examination or just one film. So please understand it takes a lot more. And while it's exciting to hear that an x-ray was negative or they didn't have to spend the night in the in the hospital, there's still a long road to go with a lot of these recoveries. And, and John Holford, no doubt, uh, Wolford, sorry, will definitely have a long road ahead. Just because his x-rays are negative doesn't mean he is feeling good today. Well, thank you again for listening. I am Charlie DeClean, and we'll see you next time on Player's Anatomy.